Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you so much, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Susan. Good evening. Hey, How are you? How's it going? Going good. Yeah. Great. <laughs> oh, I am so excited about our guest tonight. Tonight, I get to talk to a woman that I very, very much admire, adore, would not be too strong a word. She is one of the foremothers of women's spirituality. <clears throat> and as you recall, some years back, the book, The Four Mothers of Women's Spirituality, was put out, and all of the women who contributed to it were sent a group email uh, to tell us that the book was out, and this is how we could get our copy. And we 
used that email as a springboard to talk to each other. We've been talking to each other ever since. And that mm. in and of itself for the 30 of us, for the foremothers of women's spirituality, as it were, to be in this conversation for years is just so enriching and really wonderful. And one of the women had a suggestion that um, the book was good, but that we also needed to have an online. There needed to be the four mothers of women's spirituality online. As always seems to happen, young women somehow need to be reminded that we did a lot of hard work, do have four mothers, and that they stand on our shoulders. And we're happy to have them standing on our shoulders. We want them standing on our shoulders. But for goodness sakes, you are on our shoulders. And we really heard what this woman was saying. And I don't even remember who it was, but somebody said, well, I am teaching at this university, and there's a graduate student here who would do a website with something about each one of the 30 of you. And we all thought that was a great idea, and we started talking about it and how it was going to be and what was going to be on the website and so on, and got really, like, involved with it. And then the grad student decided not to do it. And Vajra stood up and said, I'll do it. And she and her amazing husband put together a stunning website. And Vajra interviewed each one of the foremothers of women's spirituality. And, of course, we just kept throwing ideas at her. How about including the ones who are dead, you know? Are we going to do spirit interviews? No, no, a list of them. So this website is an amazing and rich feast of powerful women and women's spirituality. And we get to talk to her tonight. Ah! How wonderful. Yeah, I'm so I'm so happy she is up for the interview. And your interview with her was really, really good, too. And it was cool that um, it was a video interview. And so we get to see, see both of you. Yes, they're all video interviews. Do you? I don't have the name of that website um, in in mind. Do you? Do you know what the what name of the website is? Um, I am not sure, but I'm sure we can ask her when she gets on here, and I'm I I can probably find it when uh, you take a call too, and I could um, yeah. tell everybody too. Yeah, give listeners yeah. like an easy access to that since we're talking about it. And, you know, talking about what fun it is, at least they might want to go and, and take a peek and see. I mean, Vicky Noble and Medicine Eagle and Starhawk. It's just everybody, everybody you think of concerned with women, mm-hmm. women's power and women's spirituality is it has been included here. It's just magnificent. And then what else, what else um, really am? coming to the end of writing the book. I've been working on step six for what seems like months now. (laughs) Of course, we must admit that I've been gallivanting around the planet during those months. I will admit that. Um, Who knew I had so much to say about step six? I didn't, because when I give talks, I leave no time at all for talking about step six. I just say, oh, yes, step six. (coughs) So, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) It occurred to me 
as I was laying in that wonderful restful state that we get, those few minutes that we get where we've laid down and we're not yet asleep, and everything that is so clear and the things, the answers we need come in so easily right then. And so step six is now actually divided into the scientific tradition, the heroic tradition, and the wise woman tradition. Just that one step. I'm not doing it with the other steps. Uh, because in the scientific tradition, <clears throat> step six, break and enter radiation and mammograms and MRIs and CT scans and surgery. And we know what step six is in the scientific tradition. And I want to give people the information to help them get rid of the radiation and deal with it and deal with these tests and decide, you know, what tests they want. I have a whole page on the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommendations for tests that they think are useful. <clears throat> and 90% of the page is for the tests that they say, don't do this. There is no evidence, they say, that a mammogram increases a woman's lifespan. They're against them. Mm-hmm. Pretty stunning, huh? Yeah, I mean, but it, it makes sense. <laughs> then the heroic tradition, well, the heroic tradition has always been cozy with step six, right? Colonics and bloodletting and vomiting, poke and puke and purge. They're all deep. These are all deep medicine. This is the basis of the heroic tradition. Mm-hmm. But although we can say, well, yeah, maybe they use leeches medicinally now, it's really different. But the, the intention of the heroic tradition with the poking and puking and purging is very different than the way we might use even maggots or leeches in modern medicine. And then for the wise woman tradition, deep medicine is psychoactive plants. Mm-hmm. Change your mind, change your body, change your life. Yeah. So I saw in that clear moment there before, boop, lights up, she goes to sleep, that I really needed to claim the traditions here at the very end of the book. I talk about them in the in the front matter. I talk about the three traditions, give little, you know, presays about them so we kind of know about that. But then all the rest of the chapters, I don't say anything at all about that. Because I don't think it's, really that important to say, well, this kind of chiropractic is heroic, and this kind is wise woman, and this kind is more scientific. And I could, and people have. But here, where we're really, you know, going this deep, I've decided I need to. And I've already written 52 pages, oh my gosh. As I said, who knew she had so much to say about it? Wow. Yeah. Wow, yeah. How interesting. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> me too. Me too. What have you done this week? Yeah. Um, well, I, I've been hanging out with my – I have a son that's, that got sick this week, and I got um, a new computer this week. <laughs> but I also oh, I've been, right. I remember reading that this morning, that you needed a new computer. It, that's always a hard part, hard point for any of us. 
Not because, hey, we don't want something new, but it means a new interface, doesn't it? Yeah, and just uh, transferring everything. Mine was extremely outdated, so I mm-hmm. finally mm-hmm. made <laughs> made the leap and uh, and did it. And um, I also have been taking a course by my friend that I just went up and stayed with her and did some therapy with her, and she came out with this manifestation course, which is really good. And um, it's kind of along that same line, you know, change your mind, change your life. And, um, you know, our our minds are a magic wand that we, you know, it's like how big do you want your wand kind of <laughs> thought. And, and so that's really cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, just uh, getting back out into the forest here after the holidays, and I've been spending some time. I had a really cr- great experience with a hemlock tree. I've been, like, just really into the tree medicine, and uh, right now the poplar buds are are coming on, and I was making some uh, oil with them just a couple days ago. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. <laughs> People say, oh, well, I want to come and study herbal medicine when there's something to do. What's that? You... People say to me, well, I want to come and study herbal medicine when there's something to do. Oh, there's always something to do. <laughs> the right answer. There's That's... always something to do. <laughs> Even if it's just go through and, oh, like, bad. meet your cupboard. Yeah, I went to visit my dear friend Marie Summerwood this weekend, and she wanted me to get a tincture for for her from her cupboard. And after looking for it, I came back and I sat down on her bed and I said, "Marie, I said, golly gee, you should have had a better teacher. Your teacher didn't teach you to label any of your jars of tinctures that you're making." Hmm. Now, of course, she was my past apprentice, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because it was pretty difficult in her herb cupboard trying to figure out what was what without labels. Yeah, yeah. It's when you make when you make that mistake. When I make that mistake and don't label something, it's like I always think in the moment. I'll I won't forget, you know. But I I inevitably you know forget because <laughs> there's just much stuff to remember. <laughs> and the burdock was obvious because it looked like burdock, and there was all that inulin at the bottom of it. But I'll tell you, there were a lot of leafy bits that I wasn't really sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but that would have been another afternoon's work to sit there and open them and taste them and put labels on them. And and let's also, you know, give a, you know, a bit of compassion to those who do label, but the glue isn't good enough and the label falls off. Or they do label and then something spills on it and they can't read it because they didn't use a waterproof marker. Label and use a waterproof marker. <laughs> yes, and put yes. plates under your oil. <laughs> put plates under the oils. There you go. A few tips here from those who've made all the mistakes. <laughs> oh, we have really talked a lot tonight. Let's see if there's anybody yes. who has. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe how many callers. We actually have quite a few. Um, okay. And not everyone has their hand raised, but there are a lot of callers on the line tonight. So if you have a question for Susan, press 1 to ask her. And... Um, we will go to our first caller here. Coming from the 845 area code. Is that me? That's you. Hi, neighbor. Oh, hello, neighbor. Um, green blessings. And to you, too. What's up? <clears throat> I was wondering if you knew of um, an herbal um, 
um, remedy that could help um, healing after cataract surgery? You know, the eye heals so rapidly and so well that I never think of having to do any particular thing to help Mm -hmm. heal after cataract surgery or LASIK surgery. But in general, um, what we can do to help ourselves heal is to continue to drink our nourishing herbal infusions Mm -hmm. and um, continue to eat uh, a good diet and to have um, active encounters with other people. We're just seeing more and more how important it is to human health to be um, part of a community in some way. Right. And I always connect in step six with metaphor. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things that I've been writing about is seeing step six as a metaphor. And some of the, the, the little stories that people have given me have just been wonderful. Like one woman said, I had to have a C-section because my baby was just too big to be born any other way. And when I look at that scar, I think that's how big my love is for my baby. Mm. So what kind of story are you telling yourself here? We so much create our world by the stories that we tell ourselves. I had to, to really, I laughed out loud because the last time I had my exam, my optometrist said, oh, I just can hardly wait. He says, oh, your corneas are so good. He says, I can just hardly wait. You don't even have cataracts at all. He says, but I do. He says, and I'm so excited that, it, that they'll get worse and then insurance will cover and I will get brand new, fresh, clear corneas. He says, even though yours are good, even though you don't have cataracts, he says, they're yellow <laughs> because they're old. He says, I'm going to be seeing really great. Now, that man, I know, got through his surgery when he had it with flying colors, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Because he's telling himself a real feel-good story there. Okay. Many of us come from cultural or religious traditions that give us the idea that if we need medical help or we're sick, we did something wrong. And so we kind of use it maybe in a little way to punish ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I invite you to, um, if you have that belief, um, you know, give it a nice coloring book and say, I'm so glad you're here, but you're not in charge. Uh, say that again? Yes. We don't want to get rid of any part of ourselves. So if there's a part of ourselves that says, oh, you're a bad person for needing cataract surgery, then what we Mm. say to that part of ourselves is, I'm so glad that you're part of me. Here's a new coloring book. Go sit over there and color. You're not in charge. Mm. Okay, or I could paint a painting. Exactly. Give yourself an okay to have had this surgery and to benefit from it. Okay. Well, I did have have one already, and the other one is supposed to be coming soon. So I really needed to hear this, Susan, because I'm afraid I'm uh, like a half, the glass is half empty 
type of person, so right. I have to think of it a different way. Yes, exactly. Yes. yes, you are getting a chance to see in a new way. Right, it's a miracle. It is a miracle. And, you know, just so I do not leave you befret of any herbs at all, of course, the classic thing to put on the eye to soothe and heal it is a slice of cucumber. Oh. Okay. Right? Yeah. So if it's, a, you know, it's a pretty non-messy poultice to just cut a thin slice of cucumber, lay down, put a slice of cucumber over both eyes, ah, relax, pretend you're at a spa. Mm-hmm. All right, I will do that. And, um... Chamomile, and thank you. Is, uh, chamomile is also considered a really wonderful herb for the eyes. And some people take chamomile tea bags and wet them with a little warm water and then mm-hmm. squeeze them out and put those wet, warm chamomile tea bags on their eyelids. Okay. All right. So there's two herbal things you could give a try. All right. I will try that. And thank wonderful. you so much. You're welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. It looks like that website's a little harder to find than I anticipated, so we'll have to ask her. <laughs> the next caller is coming from the 413 area code. Hello? Green blessings. Hello. Um, so nice to speak with you. I'm calling because in the last couple of weeks, I have been receiving a lot of hard information about friends getting cancer and um, a family member of mine who's going to be going to prison. And I just like physically am having these reactions to this news and, um, you know, it's like stress, but in anxiety and, and I, I've tried mother wart to kind of help settle myself and it's, it's helped me in the past, but it's not helping me this time. And I've been leaning on tobacco a little bit to help me, and it, I don't really want to do that. So I'm wondering if there's another another tincture or just another herb I can ally with to to help me here. I think what you need right now is to be directly in touch with the earth. Okay. There are very big energies swirling around you. And what you really need is to stay rooted. Am I right about that? Yes. It seems to me that the people around you are having their foundations shaken. And mm-hmm. that you in that they they want and need for you to be literally be a touchstone. a rooted stone that they can touch and know that although we can change our story, the bigger story is not ours to write. Right. The story we get to change is the story we make up about the bigger story, right? 
And very much with what you're talking about, very much with cancer, uh, this is the place where we really see a lot of um, people feeling that they did something wrong. I don't know if you were just listening to the last person that I was talking to, but I was talking about um, cultural and religious beliefs that if we need help or if we are sick or get cancer, that we have done something wrong and we're being punished for having done that. And because it's part of the culture, everyone is going to feel a little bit of it. But you as a touchstone can be that place that they touch into and find their own self-love. Okay. So I always remember Sunbear saying, if you can't actually get out and get your feet on the earth itself, then get a kitty litter tray Fill it with real earth, even if, if you have to buy it, and put it under your desk and work barefoot with your feet in the earth. I can, I can definitely get outside. Um, and I thought that was such a, a wonderfully, you know, <laughs> circuitous way to get people to contact yeah. the earth. I was once teaching a class, and a woman walked in, and she was, like, obviously shaken, and she was kind of ashen, and I stopped the class. She'd come in a little bit late. I stopped the class. I said, let me just go talk to her for a second. And I went over, and I said, are you okay? She said, no, I'm late, because there's a huge accident on the road, and I saw dead people being taken out of the cars. Yeah. And I said, okay, it was the middle of the winter, there was snow all over, but there were shrubs around the building we were teaching in. So we went to those shrubs, and there was soil available there. It was frozen soil, but it was soil. And I had her take off her gloves and put her hands on that frozen soil, not long enough to get chill pains, frostbite, but long enough for her to feel the earth. And I'd see the color coming back in her face. And I said to her, just give it all to the earth. No one is asking you to be responsible. Because isn't that what we want? If some, if somebody's in trouble or has a problem, we want to help them. Uh-huh, for sure. And you can't help them. You can't. Right. Except by being loved. Except by being grounded. Except by being a place and a person where they can feel safe and speak. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's all they need is I'm really here for you. If you need to talk about anything that's going on, let me know. I'm here for you. Okay. And just keep myself grounded so I'm always able to receive that from them. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that that's all you're doing is you are passing it on to the earth. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the most difficult things for us to learn 
shamanic herbalist, is that it is not right to steal other people's pain. I'm right here. It's not right oh, to wait, steal I'm their sorry. pain. We can witness uh, it. Right. And we can be present without flinching. But no one will benefit if you steal their pain. Wow. It makes so much sense, but that's really what we want to do. <laughs> it is so much what we want to do. We really do, you know, because yeah. we know we can't, you know, really resolve our own pain, so we go and do our best to resolve everybody else's. Right, and I wouldn't want to give my pain to anybody else either. Of course right? not. Of course not. And so they don't even... It's, it's uh, yeah. But they do want to be they heard. They of it that way. They want to be heard. Yes. They want to be seen. Yes. Things are difficult for them now. Right. And that difficulty, that deep medicine, allows us to break open our heart to love. We were talking about step six as metaphor, but that's the ultimate metaphor of step six is that we are breaking our hearts open to greater and greater love. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And yeah. in, in my blatant self-interest, I remind us all that I had an incredible uh, video course called A Cancer Diagnosis, Help Yourself the Wise Woman Way. So if that is of any use to you or those of your around you who are getting diagnoses, it is certainly you know my desire to um, give to people the information that is available to all of us about how to get through a cancer diagnosis. Whether that person wants alternatives or wants surgery or wants chemotherapy or wants radiation, I cover it all. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Green blessings. Thank you for your question. So timely. Mm-hmm. Be well. Thank you. Bye. Our next caller is coming from the 732 area code. Hi, Susan. Um, my question is... Um, if one is on um, medications, uh, several medications for high blood pressure, um, and I'm talking about my husband, I would like to start giving him um, nourishing infusions. Um, but I'm just concerned about the different medicines that he's on for high blood pressure, if the herbs um interfere. And my question is, I'm not really certain, do I go to a pharmacist and ask 
them? Because I don't know, do you know, when they go to pharmaceutical school, do they learn all about herbs and they would know what interacts? Because I don't want to call these um, companies and, uh, you know, that, that provide this stuff um, and ask them because, you know, they're, not, they're never going to know if um, any of the medication interferes with herbs because all they know about is their garbage is what I, is what I call all of it. And um, they're, ne- they're just not going to know. So how do I find out, you know, can I give him nettles or can I give him oat straw um, what would be a good way way to find this out? I'm even concerned if I go to, you know, I, I, I look up the different medications, and I'm not certain what websites I can necessarily trust because I don't know if they know their stuff. So I really want to get him on nourishing infusions, but I, I want to make sure, um, you know, that I'm I'm really learning what what I can uh, give him that won't interfere once again with this garbage that he's in right now. <laughs> can you help me with this? You, you appear to be confusing herbs with drugs. No, I'm not. Well, I, well, I, might just let, I let you talk without interrupting you, please. Let me talk. I'm sorry. That's okay. Where would you go to find out if it's safe for your husband to eat kale? Where would I go? That's kind of a weird question, isn't it? Well, he's taking these drugs. Can he eat kale or not? Herbs are food. They are not drugs. Unless you are going to make those herbs into drugs. Are you making the herbs into drugs? I thought we were talking about nourishing herbal infusions. It's a food stuff. Mm-hmm. It's as safe as kale. There is a possible side effect. If he's taking medications for high blood pressure and he drinks nourishing herbal infusion, he could very likely need less drugs. Because the nourishing herbal infusions nourish us so well that we have a better response to the drugs and need less of them for the same effect. Okay. But herbs in nourishing herbal infusions are not drugs and cannot interact with drugs any more than kale or Oatmeal, are you seriously concerned about feeding your husband oatmeal? No. Well, oat straw is the grass of oatmeal. Okay. We are not taking these plants and extracting active ingredients from them, are we? We're simply making a water-based infusion of them in Mm -hmm. the same way that you cook oatmeal by putting it in water, yes? Correct. Okay, so you make a water-based infusion of oats, which have been rolled, and we call it oatmeal. And you're not concerned that it's going to interact with drugs? Beans? Does your husband eat beans? Yes. 
Well, red clover is the same as beans. If he can eat kale, he can drink nettle. If he can eat oatmeal, he can drink oat straw. If he can eat beans, he can drink red clover. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> These are food. Right. They're foodstuffs. Mm-hmm. So they don't in any way have the same dangers that we would have if we're using supplements. Right. Now, a supplement is something that comes in a jar, Mm -hmm. usually in a capsule. Yes. And we have been confused by being told that there are supplements which are nutritive, like mm-hmm. here's a vitamin supplement, or here's a mineral supplement, or here's a wow. green food supplement, or here's an herbal supplement. Mm-hmm. And let me put it clearly, those are all drugs. Right. And they will interact with other drugs because drugs interact with drugs. Okay, so because I'm... So if you're going to take an herb and you're going to powder it and you're going to put it in a capsule and give it to your husband, then you'll need to consult one of the many, many, many books that will talk about herbs as though they are drugs. Mm -hmm. There is no information of any kind about the subject you're asking about because it's a non-subject. In the same way that you could not find out whether it's safe for him to take those medications and eat kale. It's a non-subject, right? Yeah. Non-subject. Nothing, no, nobody has any concern about it at all. Right. Right. So I, I don't use herbs in capsules. I never use herbs in capsules. And I've never seen any interactions between nourishing herbal infusions and any kinds of drugs. Okay. I you know what, maybe I'm I guess um you know, I could I be confusing this now, I'm talking about infusions. I'm but, talking about nourishing herbal infusions, that's what I'm saying. Right. You seem to right. be confusing them with drugs. They're food. Well, yes. Okay. They're food. Thank you. Not drugs, right. they're food. No, they're food no, and you treat them as food. You don't put anybody on them, he drinks them. Right. Well, you don't about, take them, you drink them. They're food. You don't take Uh-huh. You don't you know, you don't take rice, you don't take oatmeal. You eat it, right? Right. Right. Nourishing herbal infusions are food. food. Okay. Food. What so what about tinctures? How would that what category would that come under? Well, I ha- if, if our only categories are food or drugs, then mm-hmm. we don't have a category for tinctures. Or honeys or vinegars or oils or a vast array of things which are not within the scope of your question. Right okay. now we're talking about high blood pressure medications right. and drinking nourishing herbal infusions, which is a wonderful thing to do. 
I know a great many people who start taking herbal tinctures because they want to stop taking their blood pressure drugs. Exactly. And they do that in a controlled way Mm -hmm. so that they take more and more of the herb and less and less of the drug. Okay. And again, I have never seen any interactions. I've also seen people who just like threw their drugs away and started taking the herbs. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, totally depends on a, a great number of things. One of the kind of more interesting quotes that I found for step five in pharmaceutical medicine was in several studies in which they took people who were on blood pressure medications and cholesterol medications and other kinds of medications, not anything, not like taking insulin away from a type 1 diabetic. We're not talking about really threatening people's lives, but, you know, mm-hmm. medications, antidepressants, anti-anxiety, things like that. And then just stop people cold turkey, and they found that about half the people didn't need to go back to the drugs ever. Right. Okay. Right? Yeah. So there's also that, mm-hmm. that should you shake things up and you wind up having to take less drug, well, wasn't that the point all along? Mm-hmm. Yes. Certainly what I think. Right. So, in general, there are not going to be any interactions between drugs and nourishing herbal infusions because nourishing herbal infusions are food. As a matter of fact, garlic and parsley, which we would mostly consider food, are far more drug-like in their actions than any mm-hmm. nourishing herbal infusion. Mm-hmm. Parsley, in fact, is an abortifacient. Right. Who knew? Mild-mannered parsley. Tinctures are not water-based. They're alcohol-based, and mm-hmm. so we can use much less of them. And we tend to tincture plants for their drug-like components. So they have more of a possibility of interacting. And there are a great many books written about all of those possibilities. Okay. Right. Here's the American Herbal Product Association Botanical Safety Handbook. I'm not even sure if that goes into it, but there are slews of them out there. Right. But remember, when you read them, that they are only talking about herbs dried and powdered and in capsules. Okay. All right? For a short period of time, I worked with the National Institutes of Health, Alternative and Complementary Medicine, and I couldn't take it because they kept saying, let's study this herb. And I would say... Great. And they would either insist on powdering it and putting it in a capsule and dosing it up that way or actually turning it halfway into a drug by making what they call the standardized tincture in which you take a regular tincture, you take out all the active ingredients, and then you decide which is the one active ingredient and you put that one back in. I said this has nothing whatsoever to do with herbs or herbal medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to understand, this is why I didn't tell you at first that there were tons of books out there, because mm-hmm. you're going to read those books, and it's going to say, metal is a horrible plant. Right. But they're not talking about metal infusion. Mm-hmm. 
I suggest that people don't even look at those books. Really. You're right. You know, just it's just a whole lot like confusion. Now, one, one of the other quotes, and let me actually get this one because I really don't want to say the wrong numbers, and it's a pretty staggeringly big number as it is. Three, four, step five, pharmaceutical medicine, and where do we have this here? Something about uh, drug-herb interactions, yes. About 94% of Americans take both prescription drugs and supplements, okay? 94% of Americans take both prescription drugs and supplements, either dietary and or herbal. Half of those combinations have potential interactions, the interactions that are reported <clears throat> About 3%. Wow. Is a big furor being made over nothing? Hmm. Yeah. You know how many people die every day from drug-drug interactions? Mm-hmm. Because they have two different physicians who aren't looking at the exactly. record? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we're going to get our panties all in a twist about herbs and drugs? Mm-hmm. Not the way we're using them. Yes. Not the way we're using them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your husband's going to be great. Well, Not well a, you know what? Be a problem. Thank you. This is this is why I called you, so I can really get educated. And um, you, you're right. I wasn't thinking about infusions as food. I was just here thinking of it, of the herb. And would it interfere with his medication? And, of course, Susan, you just educated me once again, and I thank you. You are welcome. I so, from my heart, want everyone to know how simple and safe herbs are, so long as we don't confuse them with drugs. Yes. 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 Well, thank you. Dream And good night. Our next caller is coming from the 870 area code. Hello. Hi. It's always recharging just to listen to your voices and also being heard by others about personal health and wellness. So thank you for the platform. You're welcome. I hear a good solution for myself um, just by listening to your advice for others, and that is by going outside of my home, even though for, even if it is January, it's a bit dusty inside. Um, so um, the reason why I'm calling is because I've had about nine weeks of severe breathing issues. I'm pregnant, about 30 weeks, and I have had allergy-triggered asthma for my entire life. Um, after about two weeks of the breathing issues, I took echinacea tincture, every two to three hours, and it worked wonderfully. Until I stopped taking it and felt better, um, it came back with a vengeance after I did some cleaning. Um, And the reason why I'm calling is because 
I wanted to ask about Ella campaign tincture, and I wanted to also, um, since I'm pregnant, uh, try to get some advice from you on that if it's um, okay to take, and then also see if my combination of echinacea tincture, mullein, and nourishing herbal infusions every day is an okay thing to stack together to try to combat my issues. Okay, so there's an underlying issue, which is that you have allergies which affect your breathing. And there's an acute issue in that you've had some kind of bronchitis or congestion or infection in your lungs recently. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions, and nourishing herbal infusions are definitely fine to drink in any quantity at all when you're pregnant. There's no problem there at all. And mullein is a nourishing herbal infusion, so that just goes right along with that. No problem of, of any kind. As a matter of fact, even two quarts a day of nourishing herbal infusion during pregnancy is reasonable. The... Echinacea and the elecampane are more specialized, and I'm wondering a little, I can't quite get an understanding within myself of what was going on in your lungs, in your breathing, when you started taking the echinacea, how it changed while you were taking the echinacea, how long you did that, and then how what the next change was. If you could just tell me a little more about that, please. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, well, and to say this is my second pregnancy, and so during my first pregnancy I also had breathing issues. Um, but, not in, but not in between the pregnancies? Not at all. Okay. Oh, that's important. Thank you. Um, so, yes, um, well, about, uh, I'd say about three weeks of not being able to lay flat at nighttime and sleep through the night because I'm waking up coughing and reaching for my albuterol inhaler as a relief. Um, now, how do you I, come to have an albuterol inhaler? Um. Well, having lived my life with this allergy-triggered asthma. Oh, okay. Really so just, you, when I asked you if you had breathing difficulties in between the pregnancies and you said not at all. Well, I'll be honest, I, um, it was, I really haven't. Um, okay. But so this is an old one that you kind of had on the shelf. Exactly, yes. All right. Okay. Um. I had about two weeks of where I couldn't sleep properly at all, and so I went and started taking the echinacea tincture, and I went every two to three hours. Your only symptom was a cough. Um, It was a very deep, um, deep cough and phlegm coming up. uh, And coming up, so it was a productive cough, Mm -hmm. but Um, but it wasn't getting any better. Exactly, but there was no fever associated with it. No. So I'm not so sure that an anti-infective um, would be the most useful thing, and that's what echinacea is. Um, 
there are various herbs that contain a substance that herbalists call mucilage, which when I was a child was glue, but to an herbalist it's actually something slippery. It's the opposite of glue. It's unglue. And when there is productive cough and mucus in the lungs, then mucilaginous herbs are usually the ones that are thought of. Mullen is considered more of an astringent herb. So the mucilaginous herbs can help to move that phlegm up. The thinking is that coughing and coughing phlegm up is a healthy response to something. And so we want to encourage that healthy response rather than slam the lid on it. Okay. And so Linden would be also one of those. Linden would be really superior, especially that second brew on the Linden. Marshmallow root. And slippery elm, and I, by mistake, didn't get slippery elm powder. I got the shredded bark. And Justine, my daughter, just put a handful in a pan and boiled it up, and it turned into, like, slippery elm. We called it gloop, but in books that I've read called it gruel. Um, And she loved it. She just kept putting more water in there and boiling it up and boiling it. Every time she'd go by, she'd take a spoonful and she'd say, ah, this is really the stuff. And, of course, Slippery Elm is well known as a helper and healer for all of the respiratory passages. So those are some of the things that are occurring to me that, in a way, the echinacea seemed to make it go away, but it wasn't really applicable to it. So as soon as the echinacea wasn't there, it kind of came back. But I, my sense was maybe it wasn't so gone as we thought. That it was still uh, hanging out in there, right? Waiting. Right, waiting for, biding its time, shall we say. So do you have a sense that what you're dealing with is an infection? At first I did, um, but I really, I don't know, I really don't. I think because of all the other variables and the, the, the amount of cleaning that I've done recently and the dust and everything, I I would like to that it would be triggered by the allergies rather than some infection that I could possibly have had. That's my sense, too. So, maybe it's not such a good time to be cleaning. Maybe you need to be a little more tolerant about a messy house. You're probably, I'm sure you're right about that, actually. (laughs) You mentioned it several times now that you have have had a reaction to the cleaning. So maybe your body is trying to say, would you stop already? (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you very much, and I really appreciate all the You know, they did a study in kitchens, and they were looking for foodborne bacteria in the kitchens, and they studied, you know, the kitchen of the woman who sanitizes everything with bleach spray 
all the way down to the kitchen of the bachelor who just, you know, throws it in a pile until it's, you know, <laughs> need, he, he can't find a cup and then he has to wash it up. And there were more foodborne pathogens in the bleach sanitized kitchen than in the bachelor pad. I can believe that. In fact, there is a hypothesis that allergies and asthma are caused by cleanliness. It's called the hygiene hypothesis. I like that. That's definitely something to think about. I'm sorry. I can't do. I can't. Do this cleaning. I have to take care of myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm all about that, especially being 30 weeks pregnant. You, you tend to try to not fight the battle and just accept it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's mm. here. I think you'll also find as you continue to work with your nourishing herbal infusions, as many people have, that there's something about the nettle infusion long term that kind of stabilizes you into the pollen world that you exist in. So your immune system does not go, oh, my gosh, pollen, oh, my gosh, pollen. Mm. Uh, There was a a woman today who was kind of fetching at me. I took some plants to my shut-in friend who has multiple sclerosis. I took some plants to her. And her bad word, bad word, bad word social worker was in her room. This woman is just so, so not caring. And... (laughs) She said to me, you can't bring plants in here. What about allergies? And I you know, I just did not say it. But what I really wanted to say was, you know, reproduction 101. Allergies are to pollen. Pollen is the male sexual parts of the plant in the air. These are non-flowering plants. They are aloe vera. You cannot give anybody an allergy from an aloe vera plant. Thank you. <laughs> So what is pollen? What is your reaction to? You're reacting to that the the male sperm from the plants in the air. It's not an odd reaction to have, but nettle helps helps you cope with it. Still there? I am. Yes. Okay. So I hope this has been of some help for you. It really has, and I appreciate you very much. (laughs) Green blessings. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. The next caller is coming from the 812 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. I am calling to ask you about what you would say about being more herbally intentional about healing from trauma and overcoming fatigue. Um, I'm 25. I eat a broad diet. I've been drinking herbal infusions for almost two years. I get a lot of sleep, about eight hours a night. Um, I bike to work, and I'm intentional about making time to rest, but I'm still so tired. So I'm just wondering what you have to say. I think you're sleeping way too much. Okay. And you may just not have mentioned it, but I'm wondering what you do that really gets you, like, 
Oops, can you say that again? Yeah, what do you do that gets you exhausted? I play drum set. You go to the... I play drum set, the drums. You play drums. And I also... um, And you play drums until you cannot lift your arms? I do not know. (laughs) Exhausted. What do you do that gets you exhausted? Do you make love to someone until neither one of you can move? Uh, No. (laughs) No, but I recently started rock climbing. Drums until your arms won't do it. Move 100 bales of hay? What do do you do... That gets you exhausted. You're sleeping eight hours a night. What for? You don't need to sleep eight hours a night. You're not working hard enough to sleep eight hours a night. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. You need more activity in your life. And you can tell yourself that you feel exhausted. But let me ask you this. Do you think that there's some underlying medical condition that's making you tired? Do you think that you have? No. No. Function or some hidden cancer, or that your heart valve isn't working, or you have tuberculosis, or some horrible thing is going on? I really do not know. Okay, that's not what I'm picking up from you at all. At all, at all. But I just wanted to check in with you. So, what I think is you're just telling yourself a bum story here. Okay. Right? So, sleep less, do more. And the next time you hear yourself say, I'm exhausted, go, excuse me, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> okay. I was telling my favorite victim story. I have very few victim stories, but this is really one of my favorite victim stories because I was bitten in the head by a dog when I was about 14 months old and I had these stitches. I mean, whoa, good victim story. Right? And so Jean Houston is like walking by and she hears me telling the story and she stops and she starts walking backwards and she comes to write. She said, have I ever told you how disgusting that victim story is? And I'm like, oh, you can't take that away. She says, you're, you're a goddess archetype is Artemis. Artemis sent her wolf to claim you when you were but a babe. Now put that victimless story on. That's right. Right? Okay. Yeah. So that victim story and turn it into a victimless story. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks, Susan. You're welcome. Green blessings. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. The next caller is coming from the 504 area code. Hello. Hi, Susan. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. I wanted to seek your advice, Susan, on how I could improve the redness on my face, mainly on my cheeks. That can be so distressing, can't it? Yes, it is. It It really really is, is. you know. Sometimes it's like women's cheeks, and sometimes it's like, like a stripe right down their forehead, down their nose, and down to their chin. My daughter just seen him. She walks outside and it is cold like it is now. Wham! Her cheeks turn so red that it hurts. Yeah. So what is that? What's that red? What's that rubor? It's blood, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, the lifetime drunk who now has a big red nose, right? Exactly. Exactly. So red means that capillaries are close to the surface and that there a lot of blood is going through those capillaries and then so that skin is 
reddening. And, of course, because we have the blush reflex, which apparently is left over from, you ever seen an animal, like, stand its fur up on an end? Yeah, I have. Well, both goosebumps and blushing apparently are the remnants of that, since we can't make our hair stand up on end anymore. Except <laughs> <Except in> coming. <laughs> uh, but we can blush and we can get goosebumps, which are the same kinds of things, right, that we're feeling a little threatened. So... The primary plant that is connected to strengthening those capillaries is burdock root. Now, okay. in general, anything that contains rutin, and it's found in a great many green plants, will also strengthen the blood vessel so much so and people who use supplements will use rutin supplements to help counter redness in the face. Okay. I think it's a lot more fun to use herbs and plants, food plants, that are root and rich. It's a pretty common compound in plants. And the burdock is said to rebuild the ground of the skin, which is a kind of esoteric, like one of those, like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. What does it mean? Things. But the skin is seven layers deep, right? Yeah. And it's moving from the lower layer up, right? It's continually moving and shedding. And so the image that I created, the story I made up on that, is that burdock isn't just something that affects the top layer of the skin, but that it goes into even the seventh, even into the deepest levels of skin and skin formation to restore abundant health. Hi. Burdock, of course, is very easy to eat. It is a foodstuff. It can be bought in oriental markets and cooked up, or you can make a vinegar of it or take it as a tincture. And burdock is considered to be an herb that you can take in food-like amounts, but that you would also have an effect if you took smaller amounts, say as a burdock root tincture, and that it's perfectly safe to eat or use on a daily basis, and that you need to because it affects being so deep or slow. Okay. Got it. All right. Well, I do have some dried burdock, and I tried an infusion once. So, um, But I guess I can try to put it into more things like food on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have like a little coffee mill that you use for your herbs? The burdock root is soft enough for a coffee mill to powder up so that you can just sprinkle it on your food. Gotcha. Because the dried okay. burdock root try isn't going to... Is the dried burdock root will not cook into anything edible. You have to get fresh burdock root to cook. Okay, got it. Right. And All it's called right. gobo at Japanese or health food stores. Oh, I have seen that in an Asian market. Okay. Gobo. I appreciate that. Okay. Gotcha. Great. All right. Thank you. I appreciate You're welcome. Green blessings. Thank you. Okay, good night. Green blessings.
The next caller is coming from a private number. Hi, Susan. You know Hi. who you are? Yes, she just she just picked up. Hi, Susan. I recently moved to the Caribbean. What fun. And I have questions about I still have herbs with me from from uh, the West Coast. I was living on the near Vancouver in the Sunshine Coast. And um, I'm going to run low. I'm running low. And I've been learning about some of the plants here. But I wondered if you had any knowledge of some plants here and also some tips about drying herbs in a hot and humid location. Well, for infusion. Like- the location where I am is, is fairly hot and humid in the summer, and I find that I can dry my herbs so long as I have a building that is well shaded. As a matter of fact, the building I use um, is, if you look at it, is actually almost below ground level so that it stays very cool, uh-huh. and there's no direct sunlight that ever hits the building. And... Mm. Um, I don't know, you know, which part of the Caribbean you're on, but there are places where it is forested enough to put up a little shed where you could dry things where it's out of direct sunlight. Well, I can take a look around, but I'm on a fairly small island with very short, everything's really small, brush everywhere, Uh and everything Uh gets really hot. Yeah. Well, then, your, the uh, then your other thing to do is to lay the herb out in the sun and dry it real fast. Okay. I've done that in the desert in my car, right? You hang Perfect. the sage up in your car, two hours later, it's dry. Just like my clothes on the line. Ta-da, right? But don't let it lay out there. The sun will bleach it. Okay. Right? So this is not like just throw it out there and forget it. You've got to be on top of it. Right? It can stay out during the day. You have to bring it in at night if it didn't dry during the first day and put it back out again the second day. Because if you leave it out at night, dew will drop on it, and then it will get moldy. I know. It seems too dry for dew, but there, there is nonetheless. That's perfect. That, that answers my question for her. I did find one tree here that grows that's, I think in Africa, they call it the tree of life that has a lot of nutrients that I think I'm going to start with. Oh, wonderful. That's great. There are not a lot of books about the herbs of the Caribbean. One of my very first apprentices and friends, a woman named Maria Dolores Hayose, H-A-J-O-S-Y, Maria Hayose, was from Puerto Rico, and she has moved back to Puerto Rico, which is near the Caribbean islands, if not part of them. And she, one of the first things that she did when she moved back to Puerto Rico was to interview and talk to the curanderas in their 70s and 80s so to get their information before they died. Mm-hmm. It was her first book, and she has continued to put out a book every three or four years, Maria Dolores H-A-J-O-S-Y. See if you can find her work, and she may give you some information about the plants. One plant that I would call your attention to that probably grows there, it grows in most tropical places, 
and um, it was one of the first ones that I learned. I learned it in the very southern part of Florida as Strongback. And when I was in Jamaica, somebody asked me if I could show her Strongback. And I said, yeah, um, I could do that. And we went off to look for it. And we found, we not only found it, uh, we, we found a, 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 a herbalist who told us a whole lot about it. And I was always, you know, kind of, it's a, a real um, common weed all over the place, but it goes by different names. And here we go. Cida. Cida. S I D A. Cida is the botanical name. And it's country mallow, Cuban jute, wireweed, tea weed, ironweed, broomweed. Hmm. Well, I have a list here of the from the botanical society from the islands that I'm on of the that they list as plants that are here, and that doesn't ring a bell. But the only thing that I've found is there's a tea that they seem to be selling here called Fevergrass, mm. um, and I still haven't figured out exactly what that is yet. But and a lot of mints. A lot, yes, the mints. They're so it's so much fun to find them in the tropics. So keep your eye out for Cida. It's in the Malva family, and it's usually a small underfoot weed with tiny little yellow flowers. It's the kind of plant that's so common that the books don't talk about it because it's just too common, and everybody just kind of kicks it aside. And yet, it's in Stephen Booner's Herbal Antibiotics book. Well, I'll look that up. And I think it's going to be really interesting here because a lot of, it's a very, um, uh, the island is made of mostly limestone and it's very uh, hard, acidic soil. So there's, it, it's a pretty interesting landscape, but I'm going to look for that one. Sounds good. Thanks, and green blessings on your journey. Green blessings. Good night. The next okay, caller. we're he- heading into the last 15 minutes here. How many calls do we have? We have three callers left. And All right. Yep. See if I can pull that off. All right. Okay, the next caller is coming from the 718 area code. Hello? Hello. Hi, Susan. Um, I was wondering if there's something to do I when I exercise and I'm like moving around like whether you know necessarily turning or just up and down movements I keep getting into like vertigo states and I a little oh. bit lose my balance oh oh you're in your ear is not happy with that jumping up and down oh okay huh. Huh. there's a vestibular system you know in the inner ear that tells you where you are mm-hmm space and some people's systems are more sensitive than others 
my vestibular system is very, very sensitive. It does not like me to jump up and down at all. Or worse yet, get on a boat. Ooh, I'm okay in the Hudson River, but get me out on the ocean and I am just like sick. Mm -hmm. You have to put two scopolamine patches on me to get me out into the ocean water. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, some of us have, you know, the vestibular systems that are sturdier than others. And as with all things, you know, uh, many of us wear glasses for reading, right? Well, <laughs> so we, you know, as human beings, we learn to work around those difficulties. I, my suggestion is don't jump up and down. It seems to happen, like, from almost every movement, though. Like, Oh, from, I'm, okay, I thought you said it was yeah. just from jumping up and down. No, 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 I, I don't even I'm sorry, jumping I'm up and down anymore. No, it's okay. So any movement at all? Yeah, like, the only thing it doesn't is just if I'm walking straight. But when I'm going up and down steps, it can happen. Um, it ha- can happen just if I turn around. Mm-hmm. If I keep what, do you turning think, around. what do you think of the possibility that there's a minor infection in your inner ear? Um, it's possible. Anything's possible. It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, the, it's interesting you're saying that because... A couple of years back when this started, it started with an inner ear virus, and um, I didn't, you know, I didn't really do anything about it because I just thought I would let it pass. I took echinacea at the time, but uh-huh. I realized that since then, and now that you're mentioning it, you're making me um, kind of put those two pieces together. So it seems like it, this vertigo reaction hasn't totally gone away, and it's a couple of years since that yeah. situation. Yeah, because that's that's mostly what would what would cause it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else we're we looking at? I do not think we have a brain tumor here. I I got an MRI for that, like to rule that out. So rule that out, and there's no brain tumor, right? Right, there isn't. No. Yeah, I'm certainly not thinking of brain tumors. Nothing here that even would indicate that. Um, so I would say, you know. Choose your choice of anti-infective and okay. see what happens. Okay. What would be something that, like, I... Echinacea is a possibility. Okay. Usnea. Usnea tincture, especially if it's orange, is a really interesting anti-infective. Um, How do you spell that? U-S-N-E-A. Garlic and onion, of course, are both anti-infective and to be used in the ear. Usually they are roasted until soft and then allowed to cool. We don't want you burning your ear, but applied warm and squishy to the ear. Okay. So. I'll try that. Yeah, see see what what you're... ear and your vestibular system and your body have to say about that. See if that, that seems to be moving along the right way. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome. Good blessings. Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 705 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for all that you share. 
I'm so grateful for you, Susan. You are welcome. Um, my question for you tonight, I actually have two questions, but I'll just start with one and see if we have time. Um, I found out, well, I felt like I was pregnant, um, and I wasn't sure if it was the right time, and I took um, some tea of black cohosh. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, black cohosh is an antispasmodic, often used with blue cohosh, which can cause an abortion to moderate its effect. Black cohosh by itself is used to prevent abortion. Okay, and I only bled a little bit. So, and after that, I took a, a test. And I am still pregnant, and I, I want to keep the, the spirit alive. You haven't done anything to it? Okay, that's, I just wasn't sure if I, if I had or not. Oh, hush, is not capable of hurting a fetus. Okay, thank you. I'm really glad to hear that. You, you like, didn't take like a quart of it, did you? No, I was just making tea, and I can find the information. Well, it's hardly even effective at all as tea. It has to be used as a tincture. Okay, I couldn't find the tincture, so that's why I tried the tea. But right. um, I really liked the tea. Actually, I found it very calming and a really special yes. yeah. herb. It's used in nervine formulas. Um. Cohosh means root. Blue cohosh and black cohosh are not at all related. They are no more related than chamomile and cinnamon. Okay. Right? Um, so I wasn't sure that. Parsley is a strong abortifacient. Basil is an abortifacient. Black cohosh is not. Okay. Right? Okay. Ew. Okay. Um, and I just have fine, one more. Fine, your baby's fine. It's okay. Thank you. And I just have one more question for you. All right. Before that I found out that I was pregnant, um, I'm sorry, I'm just emotional. Yes. I, emotional is just fine. There's no problem. Okay. So, thank you. Um, I found I had booked a flight already to Guatemala. And there's a lot of this worry of Zeta, and I'm wondering what your your feeling about this virus is, and I was getting the message through spirit that um, bentonite clay could help, but um, I'm just, I'm not sure, and I'm wondering how you feel about bentonite clay also. I do not think bentonite clay will protect your fetus against the Zika, Zika virus. Okay. It's bloodborne, and as soon as you are bitten, it goes to your fetus. Okay. Um, it's one of the reasons why it is so damaging, uh, because it doesn't um, get mediated by any other body systems. It just goes in the blood, and wham, it's right there. Mm-hmm. So um, what's the incidence of uh, Zika in Guatemala? 
how many uh, births are they having? A few, a lot. Um, I was trying to look up that information today, and um, I mean, it's hard to find exactly the place that I'm going. It says that there's there's no cases of malaria in this this, this certain spot I'm going. I don't know if it's the same with with uh. I I certainly can listen to you and I can share any expertise that I have, but this is a decision that is intensely personal and yours. And I, you know, I don't even really um, have personally the expertise to tell you how much of a risk you're taking because, of course, as you say, you might be going to this very specialized place, but you have to get to this very specialized, isolated place and the area that you're passing through. Mm. You know, if it was as simple as malaria, which is something you really can protect yourself against, I would say we can do that. We're dealing with something here that, that so far we haven't figured out any way to protect people. Yeah, it's very scary virus. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, I really, I really appreciate all that you share, and you help so many humans and plants and spirits on this planet. And I'm just really grateful. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right, our last caller before Vajra Ma arrives is coming from the 484 area code. Hey, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, so when I was in high school, I had a really bad sports injury and I broke my hip. Um, I'm ha- your I'm words, good. I'm sorry, your phone is garbling your words just a little. So... You started at, you said, when you were what? In high school. When you were in high school, thank you. I um, suffered a really bad sports injury where I ended up breaking my hip. You suffered a a bad injury and you did something to your hip? I broke my hip. You broke your hip? Did you break the femur? Yeah. Okay. And... um. I'm just I've just been dealing with that pain. I did have surgery to maybe relieve some of that pain and it ended up making it even worse. Um and it's just it's just a complete pain that's on my left side going like to my back and knee and I, at this point I just I don't know what to do because my doctors have they've just continued all my medication that I've been on and I just I don't know what to do. I'm like a loss at this point. Oh, I really hear you. The first thing is to somehow connect with CBD. If you can get CBD tincture and CBD oil, put the CBD oil on the area of pain, take the CBD tincture. CBD from cannabis, non-addictive, and really gets to the pain. I've seen people who've been in chronic pain for over 20 years, a single dose of CBD tincture, and it's gone. Okay. Because I do, I do smoke marijuana. And I, I, no, it's not the same. That's THC. You need CBD. 
Okay. Tetrahydrocannabinol is fun, but it doesn't relieve pain nearly as well as cannabidiol, which is CBD. And as, you know, legalization has slowly made its way, more and more people have been able to eat higher and higher levels of CBD plants into the plants. It's not a compound that's found in a lot. A high CBD plant would be maybe 2%. But okay. I find it incredibly effective. Have you worked with Skullcap at all? Skullcap, no. I find that tincture of fresh Skullcap, and there's only a couple of places that make it Red Moon Herbs and Catskill Mountain Herbals, make fresh Skullcap tincture. And I find even four or five drops of fresh Skullcap tincture. Um, well, for instance, when I broke my wrist, um, mm-hmm. four to five drops of Skullcap tincture made from the fresh plant every two hours kept me pain-free. Uh-huh. And what I actually did was I alternated. I would do four or five drops of Skullcap, and then as the pain started to come back in two hours, I would do some high CBD tincture. Usually I only need three drops of that. And then another couple of hours, I would go back to the Skullcap so that I would kind of go between the two of them, giving my body different different ways to go around that pain and not have to tense up around it. Part of what's going on is that the muscles in that area are very, very tense as well. And any kind of body work, any kind of massage that you could get would be a tremendous help. There's so much more that we can Mm -hmm. talk about, but Vajrama is here, so I'm going to wish you green blessings and invite you to please call me back another Tuesday. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Vajrama is the leading exponent of women's womb awakening in feminist spirituality. Based in her work with women's subtle body knowing since the mid-80s, she originated the devotional moving meditation called the Tantric Dance of Feminine Power, a womb-sourced moving meditation practice of her mystery school and priestess lineage, Women's Mysteries of the Ancient Future Sisterhood. Vajrama is the author of From a Hidden Stream, The Natural Spiritual Authority of Women, and has been published in numerous anthologies, including Four Mothers of the Women's Spirituality Movement, which was published four years ago. Reverend Vajrama is an ordained Dianic priestess with ministerial credentials through the Temple of Diana. She is the co-founder with her husband and president of Shakti Moon Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to educating and mentoring people to develop and maintain right relationship with the source of life, specifically earth, nature, and woman, as the holder of community and future generations. <coughs> Vajrama is also an accomplished actress and has appeared in numerous plays, film, and TV movies, and... She has a bachelor's and two years of graduate work in theater arts, and I love her. Hi, Vajra. Good, hello. I was going to say good morning, but it's good evening. Hello, Susan. Hi. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you heard the beginning of the show, but we were talking about how our hearts were going pitter-patter. We were so excited that you were going to, had agreed to be on tonight. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, my honor. I didn't catch the beginning of the show. I've been on the last hour. And um, I just 
feel so nourished by everything you share. It's just stunning, the work that you do and the healing and the knowledge you bring to us. I really thank you, Susan. You are so welcome. And I love that you gave a title to our talk tonight, which is The Unapologetic Woman. <laughs> I, think of, I don't know of too any less apologetic women than you and I, Vashra. <laughs> well, I had to work on it, you know, because it's, it's so deeply conditioned in us, in us isn't it? It, it's so efficient. You know, one of the things that I kind of like ping on the apprentices about is just, right? And they, they, they just meant that, or they, they just were going to. I'm like, cut out, because just is like demeaning to you and to everybody who's listening. And I was reading this interview with a couple of people working with computer gaming, and one of them was a oh. woman, and without... Looking at who said what, I knew which one was her because she just did everything. Well, I just thought that, and then we just yeah. meant that. And I'm like, oh, look at that. Here's this woman. She's yeah. a powerful woman. But she still thinks that she has to, like, just, because what it is, it's a justify. It's the apology. Yeah. It's, and, and that's why I talk about it. So, wow, wow, wow. You know, when I read about all the stuff that you're doing, I think, oh, people say to me, Susan, how do you do so much? And I go, oh, God, I do like half as much as Vajra. You're just so oh. amazingly creative. Oh, 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 oh. And you know what else? We were also talking what? at the very beginning of the show about the incredible website that you made for the four mothers of women's spirituality. Well, for everybody, but focused on that. And bless our bad yeah. memories, neither Rebecca nor I could remember the website name. Could you tell us? Well, the, the, it, it's called the Four Mothers of Women's Spirituality and Their Living Wisdom for Today. But, but the actual um, uh, email, in the URL address is womensspirituality.org. And that's a hyphen, womens-spirituality.org. So um, that's where they can find it. Um, and it is the Four Mothers of Women's Spirituality, of which you, you and I were both in the anthology um, by Miriam Dexter Robbins, Miriam Robbins Dexter and Vicki Noble, which inspired the, the website because it's so important for us to have the wisdom of the elder women, which we are in our postmenopausal years. We are the women who would be, uh, in, in any pre-patriarchal culture, would be honored and looked to for wisdom and guidance. And we are not done. Um, these are, we are the women uh, who these are the women who um, were rebels and leaders in the 1960s, you know, revolution, and um, brought through um, brought through the reality of women's history of spirituality of being leaders and being leaders of humanity, right? So, so a very rich uh, website with uh, interviews and an interview with you. Uh, which um, since I did that interview with you, Susan, I've been drinking infusions every day. <laughs> hey, Vajra, all right. Good work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so since you called this the unapologetic women, woman, what, what do you mean by it? Well, you know, I'd never thought of the word just. I had, that hadn't come into my, my, my scope here, with, but that is so right on with, with how we apologize. Um, what I'd like to say to women is, you know, stop cocking your head to the side in photographs so you don't look threatening, you know, broken neck look. 
uh, stop pitching your voices higher than their, their natural, you know, natural voice so that you don't <laughs> seem threatening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like that. And, and, and stop giggling nervously and laughing nervously. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, just stop apologizing. Well, literally stop apologizing, saying I'm sorry. So many times, if you once you get your radar out for it, you're walking around in the grocery store or something like this, or you bump into somebody, and women will say, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, you know, and it's it's just sort of a knee-jerk apologetic thing to say, excuse me, I didn't mean to bump into you, but but this sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And what I wanted to say, Susan, is what is so fantastic is that the women, uh, these young women, you know, who have been elected now to the House of Representatives in the United States, a women like Alexandra. Dad, did you see the cover of Ms. Magazine? No, I didn't. Tell me. Oh, well, that's what it is. <laughs> Ms. put all their faces on the cover. It says, women who know their place, parentheses, uh-huh. the House of Representatives. <laughs> and there's... Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's ninety of them on the cover. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, women need to learn their place. They need to be in the house. That's right, <laughs> in the house. Representative. <laughs> and, and look, I will look that cover up. I don't want to miss that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the most like, current issue. It's the mail. What? What is that? Go ahead. I said it's the most current issue. I just got it. Okay, okay, wonderful. Yeah. Um, I, I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was only 29 years old, only, haha, a white woman already, and, and uh, Rashid, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and a few others that I've, I've forgotten the names right now, but these women are an incredible model of non-apologetic. They know who they are. And, for instance, when Ilhan Omar, the Muslim woman who wears the, the hijab, um, some Christian minister, a man, was like, criticizing, saying she shouldn't be allowed to wear that. You know, you're not supposed to wear hats in, in the House of Representatives or the Senate. But this is a, you know, this is a personal thing that's more than just wearing a hat. Uh, and so this is part of her, her spirituality and her religion and her beliefs. So she, uh, he criticized her and, you know, we don't need this kind of thing in the House of Representatives. And she just said, well, he'll just have to deal with it. And then, and then, I don't know if you know this, Susan, but but when uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, Rashida Tlaib, who who is, uh, Rashida is, of course, the other Muslim woman who has been elected, uh, when they were um, in the orientation for the newbies, you know, the new people in the house, um, there was some man that was uh, said to them, you know, well, you, you're in over your head. You don't, you don't know how to play the two of them in the orientation, trying to put them down. And uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted that um, – uh, what, what exactly did she tweet? Um, oh, well, she and Rashida Saeed exposed it. They, they tweeted um, that he had said that. So they were not afraid to just you know, call a spade a spade and be unapologetic about their presence there in the house. Yes. There you go. We've got a great we've got great models going for us now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, and when I got this news magazine and there's these you know, ninety women looking out at me and I'm thinking, Yes. And it it's mm. so good because I have to say that at the same time I feel like 
and I'm not even really sure how to organize this into words, but there's something about the Me Too movement that is victimizing women. Mm. It's like mm. the way to be powerful is to say you're a victim. What's happening then is that women are trying out their power on other women by accusing other women of victimizing them. We're seeing this happen in our little foremothers community. Not that the women within the community are doing that, but that many of the elders are being attacked from the outside by younger women. We're kind of standing up and saying, you know, you're dismissive. You're non-inclusive. I mean, things that are like possibly yeah, important on college campuses. But I'm not so absolutely certain that this is really where we want women's power to be. I'd rather see it in the House of Representatives than young women attacking older women for their style. And we do have a different style because we had to kick a lot harder ass. Broke ground. We broke the ice. We did. But this is, I think what's happening is that the, the younger women, the, many of them are third wave, so called third wave feminists. And they are, um, this inclusiveness means you. Do not criticize um, the systemic damage of uh, prostitution and pornography. They maintain that a woman can choose and she's empowered if she chooses pornography. She's empowered if she chooses prostitution. And this is a complete um, negation of a systemic power differential and the damage done to the whole society. Um, And so they're saying, uh, and that's third wave feminism or postmodernist thinking. Um, which is that there, there are no groups, there are only individuals, and everybody should have the right to choose whatever they want, and you cannot criticize them. Well, let people choose whatever they want, but we're looking at the systemic damage of prostitution and pornography and the oppression of women. And so I think a lot of the criticism of the second-wave women who are now, now in our menopausal years, the wise years, hopefully wise, um, it, it comes from that, um, lack of critical thinking and lack of understanding of how we're all really connected. And we're all damaged by pornography and, and prostitution, um, you know, the abuse of women. Uh, so I think a lot of the criticism that you're talking about and victimizing, trying to victimize older women by the younger women is, is, is related to that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly, yeah. and that's that. But also, what, what I'm not even talking so much about the victimization, as the sense that these women are somehow being led to believe that mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, me too, I'm the victim," is a path to power. And it's exactly uh. it's exactly what you're saying about the pornography. There is a harm there that is not so visible, but is very insidious. And let me it make is, this very personal. The father of my beautiful daughter greeted me every morning by saying, you are nothing, and without me, you would have no existence. And I really didn't think much about it. I thought, that's his idea. I don't agree. But you know what I found out? 
drip, 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 it affected me. Mm. Sure. That's what sure. I mean by insidious. Even if it's your conscious mind is saying, eh, I don't really believe that, is nonetheless something happening. And it, it, you know, it's, it's very interesting because that is an element to it. That, um, as, as, but there is also the other element that is is calling men mostly out on the abuse and on their sense of impunity that they've had for many many years to you know sexually harass. Um, so that's the good part of the yeah, message. yeah, yes, that's yes, really that's good part. The, <laughs> so we have to be careful about setting ourselves up as victims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of thinking that that it is power. That pointing power. out the victimizer yeah. makes us powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And that then, if we point out, point to anybody and call them a victimizer, we become more powerful. And this, yeah. I think, is the is Very- the part. Where it, that that uh, that is not what's what, what to me is is really going really happening. That's not a path to actual power. And I and I talk about that because I think that that's really what women's spirituality. We talk about women's spirituality. What's women's spirituality? It's about women's power. Is what we're talking about. Now, for you, and of course, I totally agree with you. That power starts in the womb. Would you talk about that, that a little a, bit and about yeah, um, that is, and, natural spiritual yes, authority well. of women? <laughs> yes, yes. The natural spiritual authority of women, which is the name of my book, one of my books, um, is based in the fact that woman is the life giver, the creator of women and men, that woman is the, the mother, literally, of humanity. And that is the power of the womb. And so... The reason I said that women have a natural spiritual authority of, of humanity, over, are the natural spiritual authority of humanity, is because when a woman gives birth, when she authors life, which of course the word authority comes from author, when you author something, you are responsible for it, and you are in relationship with it as none other, right? If you write a book, you are responsible for that book, and you are in relation to it as none other. Um, and so when a woman births a child, her authority arises from the fact that she has authored this child. She has created it, brought it into the world. So the authority of woman, real authority, is based, natural authority, is based in both relationship and responsibility. That's a very different take on authority than what we have in the authoritarian, dominating kind of idea that you control and coerce someone. If we look, the example I like to take is a lioness, which is one of the oldest epiphanies of the goddess, for very good reason. They're, they're wonderful mothers. The lioness, um, when she births her cubs, she's responsible to feed them, to protect them from danger. She feeds them, she teaches them how to hunt, um, and she teaches them in such a way that they can go out into the world, right, and be a, a full-grown lion. Now, woman, we have another responsibility in addition to all of those, you know, um, uh, feeding our child, um, uh, protecting the child, helping them grow up. We also are responsible for their spiritual awareness and their mental and emotional health. And all of that, um, it, it, there's an authority that a woman naturally has. 
And the reason I say woman is the natural spiritual authority of humanity is because our spirituality creates the laws, the mores, the, the family structure, or whatever it may be, the tribal structure. It is from our spiritual understanding and the story we tell ourselves about ourselves, our myths, right, our, our creation myths, our spiritual um, uh, text, you might say. That's what creates the culture. That's what creates politics. And so women are the leader in every way because we are the natural spiritual authorities of our children in responsibility and relationship. And, um, and that then unfolds into all other forms of leadership and responsibility and relationship. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> why isn't so. this taught? In, why isn't this taught in school? Yes. Yeah. Well, why indeed? Because <laughs> we're living in a patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> all all little girls need to know this from the age of yes. six on. <laughs> yeah. And so then, when you know that, when you really understand that, you have nothing to apologize for as a woman. Right. You can you can walk with divine pride, divine self pride. That is rooted in relationship and responsibility. True authority. True authority. You mm-hmm. are listening to Susan Weed talking to Vajra Ma. And what is the best place for people to connect with you, Vajra? Oh, well, I have two websites um, greatgoddess.org greatgoddess.org that's kind of a no-brainer to spell and the other one is shaktimoon.com and that's a hyphen between shakti and moon shakti-moon.com and the shakti moon is our non-profit organization as you uh, read about in the bio and greatgoddess.org is the one that deals with the spiritual teachings that I give through the tantric dance of feminine power alright and if women want to uh, find your book from a hidden stream, the natural spiritual authority of women. They could probably find it at either one of those websites, or probably at, at that person who spells yes. everything and is called after a great big powerful women. Oh, I think that you and I both have a very, very strong belief that women's wisdom is needed right now in a very important and special way. Could you talk about that? Yes, yes. Uh, right now, biological reality is under attack. Um, the, the distinct powers of woman in being able to um, conceive and gestate and birth and nourish life from our bodies and all that goes into that and our natural spiritual authority is linked to that. Um, that that reality, that biological reality is being denied in postmodernist and queer theory, which maintains that biology and uh, uh, says there is no such thing as biology, that it is a social construct. And there's no such thing as a man or a woman or a male or female, that those are social. So this erases the reality of biological sex. And it's being coded into our laws um, through gender identity laws, they're called, so that anybody that thinks 
or feels or declares that they are, any man who does, who declares he's a woman, is a woman legally under the law, and vice versa for women. And the ramifications of this are absolutely staggering and enormous. Just to mention some very basic things like, you know, health statistics and um, crime statistics um, are going to be skewed. But the this, this fact that women need need to be able to gather together socially, spiritually, in any other way um, without the presence of males is really important because there is a collective consciousness that women have. That's why we like to go to lunch together. That's why, you know, we, anybody knows, you know, if you've you got women together, if you bring one man into the room, it's going to change the whole thing. Just like if you men are on a fishing trip and, or a hunting trip and a woman's there, it changes the whole texture. There's a collective consciousness that each of the sexes has, and it's a good thing. Um, what's happened today is that we're living in a dominator model where the male collective consciousness is separated and severed from the female collective consciousness. And, you know, uh, so women's wisdom has been thrown under the bus for millennia. And so it's really important for women to understand that we have distinct powers and to lead humanity back into right relationships. Just because the goddess works her mysterious ways, a copy of ALF by Charles Eric Maine came into my hands last week. Mm. Do you know about this book? No, I don't. Please tell me. Um, ALF is set in the far distant future where there are no male children at all. Mm-hmm. The remaining women develop parthenogenesis. Mm-hmm. But parthenogenesis can produce only distorted females who love each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Already we have some idea of where he's going with this. And of course, uh-huh. the, the whole movement of the book is that they actually the scientists do manage to create a male fetus and actually bring it to fruition, and they have a male baby. And then the whole book is what happens because of this. Uh-huh. And it's uh, well, it's pretty dystopic, let me tell you. But I'm like, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, ALF, A-L-P-H, ALF, because the project A-L-P-H. is Project Alpha. Uh-huh. But um, you're um, what 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 is the most exciting thing that you're doing now? There's so many things I want to ask you. I just can't even get my words straight. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now, what I'm most excited about is is um, uh, my husband and I have founded a, a theater, not in the actual space, but in 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 a vision. Um, I mean, you know, have, we have a vision of what we want to do with the theater, and we have a, a number of plays that we've written. And the one that I've written is called Medea, Every Woman. And um, it's a very powerful play for four women. And what, 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 this, what thrills me about this, Susan, is that the stage can, can, um, can, can, is, is a container, a place for which the greatest um, connection between souls, a, a tremendous connection uh, from soul to soul, from actor to audience, and the audience is a collective the deep mind and, and heart and soul of the audience. That's what turns me on in connecting in, in theater. 
And so Medea, Every Woman, is a play about um, Medea has to tell her story to get out of the river sticks, out of her grief and her rage, you know, it's like, you know, from after having killed her children. And you find out why she really killed her children. It's a whole revisioning of the Medea myth, but it's grounded in, you know, what's really there. I have insights into this myth, and they relate to the modern day, to modern day degradation of the planet and to the heroic journey, the, the male hero as a dominator. And it's a tremendously, there's an epiphany at the end that is very healing. And so this is what's really turning me on right now. We're looking to produce this um, and get it out there in the uh, theaters across the country. So, yes. Oh, I could yes. <laughs> already envision it. How important. How glorious. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's mm. really a myth for our times. It's really a myth for our times. Um, and it's... It's deeply healing for women and men, I do believe. It really gets the scope of what's going on on the planet today. So uh, um, that's wow. my plug for Medea Every Woman. Mm-hmm. Medea Every Woman. Well, mm-hmm. I could indeed talk to you endlessly, and I know that our conversations will continue. How delightful to be sharing time and space with you right now, you unapologetic woman, you. But (laughs) and we've come to the last couple of minutes, and you know what's going to happen. They slam that door on us. So I want to give you the last minute, or actually even two here. What do you want to leave in the hearts and minds of everyone who's listening? Oh, good question. Good question. Um, We are at a pivotal time in humanity. We all know that. We are on the brink of self-destruction. We have ravaged the planet. Um, I could go into tears right now thinking about that. Our beloved Earth Mother. We are extremely ill as a collective humanity. And yet there's much health in the world. Look at you and what you're bringing through. And the people are yearning. To, to come back into right relationship, whether they call it that or not. People are yearning to feel more alive, to be connected to source. And that's what we need to do in order to um, avert what we're doing uh, as, as a human species. We're going to destroy ourselves and damage the planet, and the process should continue on. But we will not if we don't wake up. And women are... I firmly believe this. I have believed this for decades. It is only women who can lead us back into right relationship. We need to come together and tap into our true nature as women and the natural spiritual authority of humanity. And that, of course, includes the good brothers and sons who will support us and work with us because women are inclusive. There's only, you know, Zippo de Beth said, there's only two kinds of people in the world, women and their children. So I want to say to women, don't apologize. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say, don't apologize. Be, be fully woman. Know that you carry the portal between the worlds within your body. Whether you've had a hysterectomy or not, you still have the energetic womb there, and that is um, what the what the world needs today is women's wisdom. Vajra Ma. Find her at greatgoddess.org or shakti-moon.com. Vajra, thank you now. Thank you forever for helping reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. 
Rebecca, Herbal Medicine, People's Medicine. You go, girl. I got that email asking me about Mondays. I'll get back to you. Um, it'll take me a few days. Green blessings, everybody. Always wonderful. Mwah. Love. Good night. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Blessed be. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.